Good to see you. Uh, we're in the last week, third week of a series, short series called Practical Atheist, where we have um, examined uh, what, what it means to be a practical atheist. It's someone, this is the definition of that, it's someone who believes in God but lives as if God doesn't exist. We've talked about what that means and why it's so important to, to talk about that is the fact that uh, Scripture tells us very clearly that it's important to, to, that our beliefs and our actions go hand in hand. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that a Gallup poll, a recent Gallup poll, said that 94% of Americans say that they believe in God, or at least a universal spirit. But it's obvious that as we look around this world, that not 94% of the people in the United States act like they believe in God. It doesn't really affect their lives. And so there's a disconnect between what people say they believe and how they, how they act. And so this whole, whole series has really been rooted and founded in one question. And that question is this. Do you really personally know God? Do you really personally know God? Uh, in week one, we talked about how many people believe in God, but yet they don't fear him. We talked about what a reverence and an awe and a biblical fear of God is. It's not we go around fearing that God's going to zap us or anything, but that we have, as we get to know God, what happens is uh, we begin to have this reverence, this awe of God. He's not just another good buddy. And so many people claim to know or believe in God, but they don't fear him. And I would say the reason they don't fear him is because they don't know him. And we'll talk about that more today. Then last week we talked about how people believe in God, but they don't say, I just don't want to go overboard with that. I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to really, you know, go too far. And we talked about what it means and what scripture says in Revelation about being lukewarm and about how, how God really enjoys that. And not really. If you go back and look, listen to last week's podcast, you can understand that as well. Uh, people, Sometimes really don't understand. They think that knowing God and, and believing in God is the same thing. Well, this morning what I want to talk about, that there's really different, different levels of knowing. And I want to give you some examples of that. And I want to talk about three levels of knowing God and how that affects us and how God really, there's only one level of really knowing God the way that God says that we're to know him biblically. That's really going to make a difference in our lives and it's really the way God wants us to deal with us. And I want to give you an example of that, about the different levels of knowing, just by sharing with you uh, a personal example. About 37 years ago, I was 37, 30, I said 38 first service, then I started calculating, I realized I was 37. But around that time, 37, 38 years ago, uh, back in the state of Virginia where I came from, um, there was, there was, uh, 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 my church had gone through some changes. I, I grew up in church there, and, um, and we had a new pastor coming in. And his name was Stuart Carlton. And, um, what happened was is that as he was coming in, you know, we were checking out the pastor and checking out if he had a family. And at that time, I was 20 years old. And so I was really checking out if he had any daughters. That's what I was really concerned about, you know. And so I found out he had three kids. He had a daughter whose uh, her, her name was Vicky, and uh, she was 16 years old. And had a daughter who's, uh, I mean, a son who was uh, like a two or three years younger and another daughter who was younger than that. I really didn't care about the two younger ones. It was the 16-year-old I was focused on. Uh, even though I was 20, <clears throat> almost 21. And um, so at that point in time, all I did was I know, knew about her and she they were coming. And so that was one level of knowing. I knew about some information. 
Didn't know what color hair she had. I didn't know anything about her. But I knew that she was coming. And then uh, not long after they moved there, she became a really good friend of one of my sisters. I have three younger sisters, and she was a good friend of one of my, my middle sister. And so she started hanging out in my house all the time. And, uh, and I saw her and I got to know her better. You know, I got to know stuff about her and all this kind of stuff. And, and then, uh, strangely as it would seem, and I still can't believe this happens, it was a miracle of God, uh, about a year later, uh, after she'd been there for a while, we started dating. I know what you're thinking. 16 and almost 21. What were the parents thinking about? And I still ask that question. You know? What was the deal? But it, we started dating. And over the next five years, as we dated, what happened was, is that we got to the place where we decided during that five years to uh, become engaged and eventually get married. And now in the last 32 years that we've been married, uh, what's happened was, is that we have realized, you know, I've got to know her better. I mean, I knew, initially just knew her name, and that's all I knew. And then I knew a little bit more about her because she hung out at my house and talked to my sisters and I would talk to her. And then as we were dating, we started asking more questions and I got, we spent time together and we got to know each other a little more personally. And then when, then when we got married, we became more intimate. And we went in that order. And we did those things over those years. And what happened eventually is today, after 32 years of marriage, I know a lot about Vicki, used to be Carlton, now White. And she knows a lot about me. We don't know everything about each other because there's a lot of things about myself. Sometimes, you know, you'll say things like, I can't believe I said that. I mean, you discover stuff about yourself all the time. We can never know everything about anybody, but the person that I've grown from just knowing a little bit about to becoming the most intimate relationship in the world is my wife, and it happened over a period of time. It wasn't always the same level of knowing. Now, this morning, I want to simplify that and break it into three levels of how we know God and how we define those levels and why it's important to understand that and recognize those levels this morning. The first level, and I would say this about knowing God, is that some people believe in God, but they don't know him. They believe in God, but they don't know him. They just know some facts about him. I really believe that 94% of Americans really just simply know some, some, some of those, a large percentage of those just know some facts about God. They just know some stuff about him. And some people will say, isn't that enough? And you know what James says in the New Testament? He says this. He says the demons believe, the demons believe in God, but at least they shudder. They have a, they have an awe of God. They know who God is and they shudder. See, believing in God is simply not enough. Today, a lot of people who believe in God might be what we call cultural Christians. Some people grow up, and, I, and as I have conversations with people, I will try to say, okay, you know, yeah, they'll say to me, well, yeah, I've been a, I grew up in a church. I did. You know, some people, you know, it might be people who, you know, their mom was a Catholic, your dad was a Methodist, and you went to church every once in a while, and you're not really sure. But you might call yourself a Christian, but there's no evidence of, of, of a relationship with God in your life for many, many years. And they show up at Great Oaks, or they, I find them in the community, or wherever. And, and the thing is, is that... Uh, You know, the thing is, is that their lack of actions in regards to how they react to God reveals their knowledge of God, their intimacy with God. There is none. Matter of fact, it says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, the measure of knowing God, biblically here, is it talks about what we're to do in regard to knowing God is what? What is the measure of knowing God? Obedience. 
That's the net measure of knowing God. We can recognize that we know him, he says, if we obey his commands. But so many people will say, will say, yeah, I know God. I even believe in God. But there's no evidence in their life of obedience to God in any way. And so according to the scripture here, what would that say? What would that title? How would God judge them? I didn't make this up. It's in scripture. They call them a liar. Okay. The truth's not in them. See, the real reality is, is there are a lot of people who do know about God. There's some people that know Bible verses. There's people who know historical facts. They have some head knowledge, but they miss a relationship with God by about 18 inches from here to here because it doesn't affect their life in any real way. I mean, one of the most sobering verses, I believe, in all of Scripture comes out of Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, it says this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons before miracles? Let me give you a cultural context for today. Didn't we not go to Sunday school when we were growing up? Did we not uh, get confirmed? Did we not uh, dedicate our children to church? Weren't we nice people, generally moral, religious? And then what he will say to them is this, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I believe there's so many people, good people, who believe in God, but do not know him personally. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. And I'm glad you're here. Because we at Great Oaks are all about this, about challenging people to take their next step with God. And it means you're ready to take a next step, that you would show up at a place like this, if that describes who you are. So that's step, that's level one, the level, the first level of knowing. The second level is this, and this is the scary level. This is the kind of uncomfortable level. I'll just be honest with you about this. Some people believe in God and they know Him. But they don't know him well. They don't know him well. I remember years and years ago when I was in college. I went to college. My undergraduate was uh, degree was at uh, a school, a small school in Tennessee called Carson Newman College. It's a small liberal arts college. It's Baptist related in Tennessee. Great school. I loved it a lot. Wanted to send my kids there. Couldn't afford to. I mean, it went from like $3,500 a year when I was there. I could actually work summer jobs and pay for it to uh, $25,000 when my kids started going to school. And I'm like, forget that one. Okay. But the issue was when I was there for a couple of years, I had a lot of extracurricular activities. I did all kind of stuff. And one of the things I did was, uh, I, believe it or not, I was, I was in a thing called the Carson Newman Men's Chorus Chorale. We sang. We'd go around, you know, at schools, Christian schools, you have, you know, all kind of musical groups. And they go around, they tour, and they kind of like goodwill ambassadors for the school. And we were one of those. And I was one of three guys in the, in the chorus of about 25 guys that was not a music major. It was a scary place to be because I didn't know what they were talking about most of the time. They had their own language, their own, you know, the whole deal. But anyway, I was doing that. And so I remember one year, the second year I was in it, I loved singing, and I was, uh, you know, enjoyed that. The, the second year I was there, we got to go, and we were doing our annual tour, and we went up through. this. That year we decided to go up and take a tour of eastern Virginia, up through the coast, go by in, in the edge of Maryland, go by Washington, D.C., and then just make our way back down. And we would go to different churches and, and organizations and, and sing. And on our way up there that, that time, we decided we were going to stop um, up in Washington, D.C., visit Washington, D.C. a little bit. And they arranged for us to go to, uh, to the congressional building and actually meet the, the state senator 
uh, the senior state senator. And at that time, it was a guy from, uh, from uh, the state of Tennessee. His name was Howard Baker, Jr., now, I don't know if you know anything about history or about politics or anything, but Howard Baker Jr. was a big name in politics back then in the, in the uh, 70s and 80s. He, was, uh, he, became, um, he became the Senate Majority Leader. He was, uh, he was the White House Chief of Staff for, for uh, one of the presidents. He became a U.S. Ambassador to Japan, and he was kind of in the middle of all this. He had been known for a number of years, and so he was a, I knew about, about him. He was, a, he was a well-known guy. He wasn't just any old state senator. He was like the state senator. He was, he was known as the great conciliator. He was a person who was known as one of the most successful senators in history of brokering compromises, enacting legislations, and, and maintaining civility. I thought maybe we could use him today. But that was, I knew about all that stuff about him. But while we were there, they chose a few of us guys. We all got to meet him and shake hands, but he asked a few of us to go back into his office and sit down and talk to him. And I got to be one of those special guys. I don't know why. Might have been any, mini, mighty, mo. I don't know what the deal was. You know, how you chose who got to go, but I got to go into the office of Howard Baker Jr., this powerful, you know, uh, majority leader of the House or of the Senate. And, uh, the thing was is that the cool thing about it is, you know, I'd known about him. I knew stuff about him, but now I got to know Howard Baker because he got to sit down with him for 30 minutes and actually, he spent 30 minutes with us too. I can't believe that. And talk to us, ask us questions. I got to ask him questions and, and he would talk to us and stuff. So I had this different level of knowing. It wasn't just about him anymore. Now I knew personally knew. I had this experience with Howard Baker. I say that to say this, that sometimes there's, there, there's many of us who have an experience with God. Maybe it was a spiritual experience. Something happened. We sometimes call them mountaintop experiences. Something very special happens with God. Maybe we prayed and, and Jesus, you know, God did something in our lives. And we have this, not only a basic understanding now of who he is, we've had this experience of who he is and we know him. We've been in, not only informed about God, but now we, we know him. But we've not been transformed by him. That experience doesn't leak. Because I would tell you that after I left and I met Howard Baker... I didn't, it didn't really mean anything. You know, it kind of like, okay, I met Howard Baker. I know Howard Baker. He's a good friend. Yeah. But the issue is, is that nothing changed in my life from that experience. Nothing changed. It was cool. It was powerful. But it didn't, nothing changed. It didn't transform me in any way. I didn't decide to go into politics or do anything because of that experience. See, a lot of people believe in God and know Him, but they don't know Him well. They just kind of, kind of experience with God, and it doesn't affect their life in re- any real way. And when people have that, this is where, like I said, this is the, this is the kind of shaky ground you, you're on. The question that people will often have is, well, I've had this experience. Does that mean that I'm saved? And I'll have to say to you, the answer is, I don't know. Just because you have an experience with God doesn't mean you have a relationship with God because everything I see in Scripture says this, that when Christ comes into your life and you truly accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you're changed. It's not about just having an experience. I mean, Paul wrote to the Galatian church about this because they were going through this thing. They were trapped in legalism. They had been trapped in legalism of rules and regulations. And, and then they began, some of them began to uh, uh, follow God. And, uh, but they got sucked back into some stuff. And it says this in Galatians chapter 4. It says, formerly, when you did not know God, 
You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. It was talking about the rules and regulations. But now that you know God, and this is a word that basically means a beginning to know God, you've, you've had some experiences with God, and you know God, you, you have personal relationship with him in some way. It doesn't really describe what that means. Or, and it says, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul's simply saying to the Galatian church, he says, guys, I mean, obviously the experiences didn't really make it, didn't stick. Because you're just turning right around, you're not really being transformed. And what's happening is, is that you're, you're going back to the same way you were before. There wasn't a change in your life. You don't know God well enough, intimately enough, that you not only know about him now, and you know him now, but it doesn't mean that you reverence and awe him. You've not decided to go beyond being lukewarm. That's the second group and the second way of knowing God. And then thirdly, the, the main way is this, and this is in, <clears throat> excuse me, it's something that we're, this is where God wants us all to be. The third level of knowing God is this. Some people believe in God and they know him intimately. And they serve him wholeheartedly. And the question for many of us is this. What does it mean? What does it mean or what does it look like to know God intimately? What does that look like? And the fact that you would ask that question really reveals the reality that you may not know God in an intimate way. And I will admit to you that it's sometimes difficult to describe that, but I'm going to try to do that this morning because I want you to understand the difference between knowing a little bit about God, having just just an experience with him, and really, truly being connected to God in an intimate relationship because that's where it's at. That's where God wants us to be. What does it mean to know God intimately and to serve him wholeheartedly? Well, I believe it means this. I believe you become more and more aware of God over a period of time. You have this increasing awareness of the presence and the provision and the power and the peace of God in your life. It's not like God's there and I'm here, you know, God's out there somewhere and I'm here and every now and then I throw a prayer up at him and it's more of an ongoing conversation with God for me now. And God speaks to me through his word. And he speaks to me through his spirit, and somehow my spirit is connected with his spirit. And, I, and when he and he speaks through other people, and I, I know it's God, and he speaks through circumstances. And there's this awareness that as the day goes on, God is orchestrating things. I can see God's presence in a lot of things. And when I'm about to do something that I shouldn't be doing, his spirit prompts me and says, no. And he prompts me to do things I should be doing as well. When you're in that intimate personal relationship, you, there's an there's a ongoing conversation and presence of God in your life. It's knowing him and serving him wholeheartedly and doing it with joy. And, and I love, I tell you, there's nobody describes this better than the writer of Psalms, David. I mean, David did an incredible job of, I wish I could write like David did. Incredible. And he says this, I love this in Psalm 63. He says this about his relationship with God. This describes an intimate relationship with God. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you in a dry and weary land when there is, where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. 
And I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I mean, that is a description descriptive of an intimate relationship. Someone who desires more than anything to know God. It's better than life itself. He says, I can't be quiet about you. I'm not the same. The old standard has been changed. I know you, God, and you have, and you have my life, and I want to serve you intimately. That's where God wants to take us. And then I love this verse is written later on, uh, actually earlier in Psalms, but in Psalm verse uh, chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, and I thought it was interesting. I was reading this, and it says this. Those who know your name, those who know your name, We'll trust in you. And I kind of got stuck there going like, what's the big deal about a name? For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name will trust you. And I begin to think, well, how do I know, how well do I know God? And what name does, names do I call him by? It's kind of like this. I thought this is the best illustration I could think of. Is that a lot of people know me by different names. You do. And based upon the name that you call me by says something about the level of intimacy you have with me. For instance, I've had people over the last few years that don't know me at all. I'll go to a store and I'll say something. I don't have to say a whole lot. I'll say something. And they'll look at me and I'll go like, you're not from around here, are you? And if they knew me, they know how much that irritates me. I'm not going to say anything how much it irritates my wife times 10. But the issue is, the thing is, is so often, you know, people, will, they don't know me. And they, so their, their only comment is, well, you must not be from around here, are you? And I thought of a great response after the, after, after the, second, after the first service this morning. I said, I'm going to start telling them, no, my home's in heaven. I'm just here temporarily. <laughs> that might start some interesting conversations, don't you think? But no, those people don't know me at all. They just kind of know, they know something about the way I talk, you know, like I'm not from central Illinois, like, you know, like you guys talk right, okay? <laughs> and then there's those people, you know, who know me, and, 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 you know, they call me on the phone, and they go like, can I speak to Mr. White? They know my name. They're called telemarketers. <laughs> They've done a little bit of research, like, 30 seconds, you know, and they know my name. They know a little bit more about me than the person in the store who gives, irritates me, you know, and the thing is, is that they know my name, but that's all they know about me. That's another, they, but they call me Mr. White. And then there's other people that know me in the community that don't go to Great Oaks, but they know what I do. And so they'll call me Pastor White or Pastor Bill, you know, and so they know a little bit more. They know more than just the name. Now they know a little bit about what I do and what my role is, you know, in the community. And those of you who are friends call me Bill. You don't call me Pastor Bill. Because, you know, I don't like titles. I'm just Bill. Or if you're from the East Coast, where I used to live in Virginia, you call me Billy. Because that is really my name. I'm not a William. It's my given name. And if you, and if you know me and then you're a relative, you call me by my first name and my middle name, which I am not going to tell you. Some of you know it and already have tried to use that because they, and, and some of my relatives do it because they know how much I dislike that. But the issue is, is they know me, but they have a different relationship. They call me by that name. And then there's a group of people that when I grew up with a bunch of guys that I used to play basketball with all the time. And I will know that when I, when I get with these like 
Four guys, they'll call me, they'll, I had a nickname on the basketball court. I was Walt. You're going like, Walt? Yeah, there's a guy named Walt Frazier, by the way. Played basketball, NBA, NBA uh, player uh, of the year, defensive player. And I was also known as the eraser, okay, when I played ball. I was skinny, could jump, and loved to block shots, okay? That was the cool thing about me. I'd rather block a shot than shoot, you know, 30-foot shots. I really would, any day of the week. Sad now that I can't jump. But anyway, the issue is is that only the people that would call me Walt would be those three or four close friends that we spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours playing basketball with and hanging out together through high school and even the first couple of years of college. Those people had a different relationship with me, and they know my name in that way. And then there's a couple of special groups of people in my life that have a different relationship. And there's two people in my life that used to call me Daddy. And they started calling me dad. And now they say, hey, you. (laughs) But, you know, they have the special relationship. And now I have a a couple of other kids, little kids that call me, well, really not call me that because one can't talk yet. And one doesn't get it right, but he tries to. But they're my grandkids. My grandson, Cooper, he keeps calling me grandma. If you hear him call me grandma, it's not because he doesn't know who I am. He just thinks grandma and grandpa are the same name. It kind of covers all bases. And we keep telling him, no, that's not it. So, you know, I don't know. Someday he will tell, call me grandpa. I guarantee you because I'm going to make him. But because uh, I don't want to be calling, don't know his grandma all the rest of my life. But the issue is that. And then there's just one person in the world who has a different relationship with me and can get by with calling me this. And she can call me sweetheart. She can call me anything she wants to. And I have a personal and intimate relationship with her like no one else in the whole world. See, all these different people know me by different names. And I ask you this question, what, by what names do you call God? Is he, a big, is he the big guy in the sky? Is that the name? Or maybe he's the healer. Because he's healed you of something. Or maybe he's the comforter. You know him as the comforter because he's given you comfort. Maybe he's your fortress, your rock, your strength, your provider, your friend. Maybe you call him by those names. Maybe he's your father in the very best sense of the word. And if you're aware, and this is important, if you're aware of your sinfulness, one of the names you call him is Savior. And when you say that name, it means something to you. Maybe he's the Lord of your life. You call him Lord, the King of Kings. How well do you know him? It says everything about what you call him. See, those who know him by name trust him. It's what it says in Scripture. Those who know him by name trust him they trust him with everything this morning as we close I just want to share this with you that God wants us to know him intimately and personally he doesn't want to settle for lukewarmness Matter of fact, it said in Revelation last week, it makes God want to throw up. 
But it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I want to share with you a little bit about my journey. As I grow to know him, this is what's changed in my life. These are some signs of an intimate relationship with God. It's not a perfect relationship, but an intimate relationship. As I grow to know him, I become more generous in every way in my life. I do. As I grow to know him, my heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God. As I grow to know him, I become more passionate about him. And I really don't care as much about what people think because I'm living for him and not for the approval of people. I'll just tell you that. Used to eat me up when I got kind of like negative stuff from, you know, and just kind of about five minutes and I'm gone. I'm done now. And as I grow to know him, I bur- what burns within me is the desire to tell others about him because I want others to know the same freedom, the same joy, the same peace, the same forgiveness, and the same life that I have from knowing him. And I've become to understand it has nothing to do, nothing to do with stuff. And so because of that, I look at things that used to not bother me at all, and they bother me now because when I see people that are poor, the first thing in my life is I think, and I care deeply about it, and I look at the resources that we all have, and I say, hey, we just need to release the resources to let God use them. God's changed me like that. And when I sin against him because of my relationship, it grieves me. It's not just something I pass off. I'm different. And I'm different because I know him. I know him intimately. And if you're not different, practical atheist. I believe in God, but don't live, but live as if he doesn't exist. So what's the solution? It's easy. Actually, this is the easiest part. How do you get to know him? How do you get to know him? How do you get to know him intimately, personally? The Bible says this. If you seek him, you will find him. You have to desire to seek him. To know him. Not just about him. You have to pursue him like you've never pursued anyone else. And allow him, as you get to know him, he will change you. He says it over and over and over again in scripture. If you seek me, you will find me. Open this up. And begin to know him. And open this up, your heart, and allow this to go into it and begin to make a difference in your life. Because if you do so, if you seek him and if you're hungry, he will feed you. And if you're thirsty, he will give you something to drink. He says it in his word. And you don't have to know a whole lot of stuff. You just have to desire to seek him and to go after it. So here's the wrap-up, the close to the whole series. And if God has been speaking to you over the last three weeks and, and, and it's challenged you and made you think about things and ask where am I at with God, good. That's where we need to be. 
I heard one guy one time say, you know, the purpose of the church is to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. God's word does that. So this is the prayer. This is the prayer that comes right out of scripture that I've been praying for us as a church. And it comes from Ephesians chapter one. It says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So you may know him better, not know about him, but know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I keep asking God that our church, that you, you are the church, would know him better and know everything about him. And as you do so, what he'll do is to begin to change your hearts and change your lives in ways that you never even imagined. He will change your priorities. Because I know that there's nothing better in life than to have a purpose that's higher than yourself to live for. So that someday, soon, you can call him King of King and Lord of Lords. And it's not just a name. It's a reality. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.